This morning we're continuing, we're doing the second in our new series, Streams in the Desert. And uh, the title this morning is uh, A Glorious Church. And we're, uh, for those of you who are visiting, we're starting to look through a book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And uh, we're going to be looking at this morning about, through the Old Testament, God's, uh, uh, God's people, God's glorious church. When you think about it, the first thing, is it glorious church really? When we see the state of the nation around? Well, the promise this morning is that we're going to pick up from Isaiah is that God has a plan for a people. So we're going to read together from a few passages in Isaiah. They're going to come up on the screen behind me so you will be able to follow. And uh, this is what it says. We're going to start with a few verses from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may may proclaim my praise. But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I've chosen. This is what the Lord says who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my, dis- and my blessing on your descendants. A glorious church. Really? Empty buildings falling into disrepair. Declining attendances that when you plot on a graph look like the 90-meter hill at the Winter Olympics. The media trumpeting scandals, very public disagreements across the church. Increasingly, people in the UK viewing the church as an irrelevancy. If you are frustrated at hearing those sorts of statements, you're in the right place this morning. Because Isaiah has much to encourage us about the church. You see, God has heard all of that before. There's nothing new under the sun, we're told. Jesus is building his church and nothing will stop him. God is with us. And by the way, I want to say, not everyone has written the church off. This was an article in The Spectator in May 2016. The writer commented this, as for the church itself, it's no use pretending there's a Christian majority whose non-attendance at church is just down to laziness. If church leaders wish to keep their buildings open, they'll have to start from the beginning in a now skeptical country. Then he says this, 
We cannot discount the possibility of a Christian revival. The Christian faith specializes in defying the odds. That's someone out there in the world who probably isn't a follower of Jesus saying, actually, we can't discount the possibility of God doing something in our nation, this nation, because the Christian faith seems to specialize in defying the odds. I want to challenge us this morning. Are we in faith for God to revive his church in this nation? Do you believe that God can do something in this nation that will turn it on its head? Do you believe that God can use a people like us to make a difference? I do. I believe that God, in a moment, can turn everything around. I've read about it in books. I long for the day when I would see it with my own eyes. But first, before we start unpacking some of what we've just read, for those who are maybe new to reading the Bible, Isaiah is what we call a prophetic book. It's not easy to understand at first reading. I mean, if you read in the book of Acts in the New Testament, you come across an Ethiopian official who's well-read and he's traveling, and a guy called Philip, one of the leaders in the early church, comes alongside his chariot as he's, and he's reading a bit of Isaiah. And uh, he is puzzled at what he's reading. He's a little confused. Uh, He's well-traveled. He's well-educated. He's a worshiper of God. And yet he's struggling to make sense of what he's reading. Why? Well, Isaiah is full of allegories and metaphors. There's a vineyard which is really a nation. There's singing mountains. There's trees with hands that clap and talking pots. When you say it like that, it sounds more like a Disney animation than the Word of God. If that isn't enough, Isaiah's message is a mixture of historical narrative, story, telling what actually happened in history, and a mixture with that of prophetic declarations, which Isaiah seems to group thematically, so they're not necessarily in chronological order, so it can be quite difficult to follow what he's saying and and what he's talking about. And to make any sense of what Isaiah is saying, we need some help. So here are a few keys to help us as we unpack Isaiah together today and over the coming weeks. Firstly, uh, Isaiah talks a lot about the nature of God. Uh, Isaiah calls God the Holy One of Israel uh, about 26 times in, in the book. Isaiah himself has a vision of the holiness of God. We were singing about the holiness of God this morning, the awesome presence of God. And Isaiah, at the start of his book, declares uh, 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 that God is saying to the universe that, uh, that the people he's formed have rebelled against him. God is saying, the people I created, they've rebelled against me. They've turned against me. And Isaiah's uh, book ends with uh, this loving, gracious, merciful God promising that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to put everything uh, right that has been wrong. Everyone will worship him as they ought. That message is still relevant today. It gives us great hope in the world that we see and live in. There is a loving, holy God 
who stands against that arrogance and selfishness, and one day he will put everything right. That's good news. Isaiah also talks about the state of the nation. I mean, and the similarities with Isaiah's day for us today are stark. Political instability, Machiavellian maneuverings both in and outside the country, an economic divide caused by social injustice, rich and poor, and the divide seems to be getting bigger. A lot of empty and meaningless religion. And into this, Isaiah weaves two themes. He weaves a theme of judgment and a theme of comfort. And the first 39 chapters focus on God's warning of judgment because people have turned against the living God. And yet within this, within this theme of judgment, uh, God is, uh, is also speaking words of comfort that if you turn back to him, if people come back to him, he will bring comfort into their lives. And in the, uh, the, from chapter 40 onwards... The remaining 27 chapters, the theme is one of comfort, yet woven within it is this theme of of judgment that if we don't put our trust in God and we won't follow him, God says that he stands against the proud. He resists the proud, those who live without reference to him. And so throughout the book of Isaiah, we see these themes of judgment and comfort being woven together. Warning and promise go hand in hand through the pages of the Bible. Isaiah also talks about a promised deliverer. Isaiah talks about the mess that the nation's in. But he promises, there's a great promise running through uh, the, the pages of Isaiah. That there is a deliverer coming who's going to put it all right. God's answer to our problem. And we know that that is Jesus. Jesus. Isaiah prophesies that he would be born of a virgin and tellingly calls him Emmanuel. God with us. We live in days post the cross. Jesus has come. We were singing about this morning. He has died. But the tomb is empty because he has risen. It's wonderful news. We have a deliverer. We have a Messiah. We have one who was sent from God to put all wrong, all right that has been wrong. This Jesus, Isaiah says, will be God's servant. He would display God's splendor. Through his suffering, Isaiah says, he will bring many to God. The message of Isaiah is all about Jesus. And that's why it's quoted by so many New Testament writers. Finally, Isaiah talks a lot about the people of God. The country's in a mess, yet God promises that his focus is on a specific group of people called the nation, the nation of Israel. God chose to lavish his love and grace on them. They didn't deserve it. God focuses his love on them. But his plan was, but would be that he, they would be a light. They would be an example to the nations around. That everyone would see that God loved them. Everyone. It wasn't just a message just for Israel. But through Israel, God was going to reach the world. That was God's plan. That was the plan. And yet, some of the people of Israel chose not to follow God. But those who obeyed God that Isaiah talks about were a foreshadowing of the church in the New Testament. 
That's what we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Isaiah encourages us to love God wholeheartedly. And those who do are the real people of God, the church. His glorious church. And in the light of this, from the passages that we've just been looking at in Isaiah, I want to show you a few things that will help us as we seek to be God's people in these days. First of all, I want you to see that God brings his church and causes his church to rise and become effective through a place of testing. When Annie and I were on sabbatical, for those of you who don't know, we've just come back from a three-month sabbatical. We were in uh, the Coachella Valley in the Sonoran Desert. And uh, when we were there, the temperature was 118 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, just under 49 degrees centigrade. It was inhospitable. It was arid. There's virtually no rainfall under five inches a year, and this valley is actually on the San Andreas Fault, so it's prone to earthquakes. And yet in the middle of this desert, in the middle of this bleakness, is the city of Palm Springs. Palm Springs is similar to the size of Winchester. Why on earth would anyone want to live there? Middle of a desert. And Isaiah, when we read through uh, Isaiah, as we read that pass- those passages together, Isaiah is similarly attracted to deserts and wastelands. He talks about thirsty land and dry ground. And everybody that he wrote to in the day uh, would have understood what he was getting at. Everyone knew that in the beginning God could created a world with plenty of water. The garden that he created at the beginning where Adam and Eve uh, uh, lived and cultivated and flourished, uh, it was all in part because there were, uh, it was the source of four rivers that uh, watered the region. Adam and Eve lacked for nothing, yet behind the peace and fulfillment that they enjoyed and the water they needed to sustain life was God. He was the source of all they needed. Their need of water was a daily reminder of their dependence of the God, on the God who created and sustained them. You see, in the Bible, lack of water and drought conditions are often an indication that men and women have turned away from God. And therefore, they're a provocation to seek Him. We read that God deliberately led his people, Israel, into the wilderness, into the desert, to meander through the Sinai Desert. He could have taken them quickly to where they wanted to go, but he, they took them on a circuitous route. And the, there was a reason behind it. You see, as God deliberately led his people that way, it was so that there would be a daily reminder for them that they needed Fresh water. And as they needed fresh water, they were to look to the God who was uh, leading them, providing for them. It was a provocation for them to seek God. God wants us to have that same attitude in our hearts. He wants us to be thirsty for his presence. God often 
tests our hearts to see how thirsty we are for him, if he is really center of our lives. The Bible talks about God testing. God tested the children of Israel in the desert to test their hearts. God similarly wants to, will be testing our hearts because he wants us to be those who follow him wholeheartedly. Put him first. Whatever our lack in life, it should stir us to seek the only one who can sustain us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's where we should go first of all. There are, God has gifted lots of people with skills to help us like doctors and psychiatrists and all sorts of people. But first and foremost, we should be a people who first go to God and say, God, be with me today. Go and see the doctor, go and see other people. But first of all, turn to God. God, you're my source. I trust you. Help me. I'm in need. These circumstances are difficult. Please help me. What's your challenge? What's your lack? Where do you go, first of all? You see, in Palm Springs, it's a desert. It's bleak, it's barren, it's nothing going for it at all. Yet below the surface, there is an aquifer that holds more water than the biggest lakes and reservoirs nearby, which are huge. There is more water sitting underneath that valley. No one would expect it from a quick look, surface look. But under the surface, there is a source of life. God wants us to be people who go to him in the place of testing because he has, there is, the resources of God are limitless. He loves you with an everlasting love. He cares for you more than you will ever know and he has all the resources you need for life and godliness. That's what Peter tells us. Once we need, we recognize our need, we should dig down into God to draw the living water from the living water he freely offers. That's why Jesus promises in the New Testament, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, in life, even your success comes from God. Your ability to earn wealth, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, is a gift from God. When things are going well for you, it should cause us to seek his face and seek living water. This is what I came across this verse in Hosea chapter 14 verse 8. Listen to this. This is what God says. I am like a green pine. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Listen to that again. God says, I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Maybe you're feeling dry. Maybe you are experiencing fruitlessness. You need to draw from God. How do we draw from God? We cry out to him. We come to him in prayer, as Barry was talking about earlier. 
We're a people who are obedient. We need to dig out wealth. If there's things in our life that shouldn't be there, we need to clear them away so that we can draw from living water. I want to... We talked earlier about this Ethiopian guy. He's a eunuch. He had been... uh, He'd been castrated. This is a, a guy who is... He's actually wealthy. He is chief feel like finance officer for the queen of the Ethiopians, Candace. And yet, this guy comes all the way to Jerusalem. He comes to worship. He's got everything. He's got money. Seemingly, life on the surface is going well for him. And yet, under the surface, there are so many areas that he struggles in. doesn't have a family. He'll never have a family. He's never going to know that. I'm sure there's rejection and hurt and all sorts of stuff on the surface, but on the surface he looks fine. And so this guy goes to where he knows he can find living water and he goes to the living God. And he's actually, he's not allowed into the temple. Because of his condition, because of what's happened to him, what has been done to him, he didn't do it to himself, others did it to him. He's not allowed to go in, that's what the law said. And so he can't even get that close. But he knows he's desperate. He's thirsty. And as he's going home and he's, he's, he's struggling because he's, he's not got what he looked for. God comes and meets him. And encounters him. And in his moment, God comes and fills that void. And it says of him afterwards that when Philip left him, he went on his way rejoicing. He had an encounter with the living God. He sought God and he encountered God. If you're here this morning and you're battling with all sorts of stuff, maybe you have had stuff done to you in the past that's left you hurting. God can answer you. Only the living God can, can, can give you living water that changes everything. Hallelujah. He can do that for you. He wants to do it for you because he loves you. God tests us because he wants us to be, secondly, he wants us to be a people of significance. Palm Springs is is just, it's named after palm trees that grow by the spring. It's very simple, simple name. Those palm trees are tall and straight. They're significant in the area. When you, 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 drive through, you look and you see there's nothing, little shops, and then you see these palm trees standing tall and straight. When you see it, read in the Old Testament of God leading Israel through the desert, he brings them to oases, and when they get to oases, there's one he takes them to called Elim, and at Elim there are 70 palm trees and 12 springs of water. And the point is this, just as substantial palm trees mark the presence of water in the desert, a church that experiences trials and difficulties and obstacles but relies on God produces people of significance and standing. God talks and he says in the verses that we read earlier, the people I formed for myself. People is plural. God is working on us. God is shaping us. God is making us to be people of significance, not in ourselves, but people who rely on him, whose roots go down into him and what he says. Many of you know what it is to be in a trial situation when circumstances are difficult. 
Many of you know what it is to draw strength from God when things haven't been going well. And when I look across the auditorium, when I look across the church, I see many people who I know have found God to be the answer, God to be their source. And they may not look substantial to you, but in God's eyes, he sees, as it were, palm trees, tall and straight, significant in the purposes of God. Jeremiah says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. God wants us to be people like that. People rooted into him, but also rooted together. You, for those of you who around a few weeks ago, I talked about the uh, avenue of the giants, the giant redwoods of Northern California. And those trees, the 350 feet high, tall and straight, massive, massive trees growing in close proximity to each other. And yet their roots go down uh, about 6 to 12 feet I, I, I was telling, I was t- talking to my son about that, and I said, "Joe, uh, I, uh, I said six to twelve feet. That's two meters. I, I mean, I'm nearly six foot." And he said, "Dad," he said, "Dad, the illustration." He said, "It's lost its mo- It's lost in that moment." <laughs> he said, "Absolutely lost to me." He said, "You're nowhere close to six feet." He said, "He spoiled it. Spoiled the story." But six to twelve feet—that's nothing. Three hundred and fifty feet high. These trees. And yet they've stood for centuries against the storms coming from the Pacific, sweeping in off the Pacific. They've stood because they've rooted together. Their roots, their root systems wrap around each other. Their roots got wide and far. And these trees are a community. And God wants us to be that sort of community in these days who draw living water from him but are rooted together. We belong. That's what. God says, we belong. We've been bought by him, redeemed at a price. The blood of Jesus has set us free. Jesus died on the cross that we might come into a relationship with a Father in heaven who loves us. And we are rooted together in him. We love each other because he loved us when we didn't deserve it. We forgive each other because he forgave us when we didn't deserve it. We belong. He promises to protect us when we're facing trials, corporately facing difficulties. He promises to protect us because we're precious to him. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. No, it doesn't. At the moment, uh, we got a, a text last night from uh, Debbie and Gary. Many of you will know Debbie and Gary, two of their boys there in Orlando at the moment. And they're battening down the hatches for this hurricane that's about to land in a few hours' time. And don't know, and they're in the text messages saying we're just looking to God, trusting God that God's going to protect us. What are you at the moment? Maybe you are struggling. Maybe you're facing, as it were, a storm. Let me tell you, there's only one place to be. Best place to be is here this morning amongst the people of God. Get someone to pray with you. Get someone to stand with you, stand alongside you. It's together we draw deeply from the aquifer of God's grace in these days in order to stand in the storms of life. The third thing I want to draw out is that there's a purpose to proclaim. You see, we share a God-given purpose. 
God formed us to be a people to proclaim his praise. We should be a people who honor him. If our roots go down deep into his grace, his unmerited favor towards us, we'll find that the fruit of the Spirit will be evident amongst us. We will be a city on a hill. We will forgive one another. We will be a light on a stand. People who care for one another despite how others treat us. There's a needy world around us who needs to know that needs to know that God loves them. You may feel, I don't, I'm not sure I make a difference. I'm not sure my life makes a difference. I want to encourage you, you never know what God is doing through you. Never know. A few weeks ago, I was in a, a meeting, and this girl comes up to me uh, in her late 40s. And she comes up, and she says, hi, Steve, do you remember me? And I'm looking, thinking, yeah, yeah, no, I, I remember you, uh, 30 years ago, she says, yeah, 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 Steve, that's right. Um, do you remember that you came to visit me in hospital and pray for me? I'm like, actually, I remember because you just told me. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have remembered. And the story was this. 30 years ago, she was a teenager, lived in a tough part of Swansea, and uh, uh, her mum and her were on the fringe of the church that I was part of back in the day. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure of the exact facts. I think her mum had just become a believer and she was on the, on the fringe. And there was a fire in their house. And the house burnt down. The, the mother died in the fire. And she was, uh, you know, had serious burns to her head and face. And uh, she was in Burns Unit in Chepstow, about, uh, probably about an hour away. And I was involved in a youth group at the time, and uh, my friend and I, leading the youth group, we were just such a teenager, we went to visit her in hospital. Didn't know her, never met her before, but we went visit her, talked to her, prayed for her. I'd forgotten about it. First thing that comes out of my she said, do you remember Steve, 30 years ago? You came and visited me. I'm thinking, I don't even remember I did that. I want to tell you, there are things that you've done, things that you've said, people that you've encountered, you never know the difference you've made. God wants us to be people like that. We're not looking for praise. We're not looking for people to pat us on the back. But as you demonstrate the love of God in a needy world, you never, never, never know the difference that you can make for God. We're a people with a mission because we have a God who is on a mission. A God is on a, this God is on a mission to save people, to draw people to himself. We're called to be those who proclaim the wonder of God and the wonder of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us as we were singing about this morning. They say, I heard this saying about Palm Springs. Someone said to me, said there was a, a, a commercial some years ago about Palm Springs, and it said, Palm Springs, 12 miles from, from anywhere and two feet from hell, because it's that hot. It's that miserable place to live. Loads of people leave Palm Springs in the summer because they can't cope with the heat. It's such a difficult place to live. There, certainly, there must be easier places to live in California. You see, as Christians, it's easy to follow a path of ease. Yeah, it's, it's okay, but it's a bit tough now. I'm going to move out. Gonna, 
going to go take up residence somewhere else. It's easy to look for a path of a, a life of ease. To live our Christian life without really needing God to show up. Occasionally we need to exercise faith, but, but not too often because we live such neat and tidy lives. We occasionally need God's intervention in a storm. That's not the way he wants. He wants us to be those who depend on him day after day after day, moment by moment. If he doesn't show up, we're done for. We're finished. God wants us to be a people who live in the tough places of life, knowing that we need him in every day. Is your work a tough place? That's where God wants you to be. God wants you to be salt and light. In that workplace. God wants you to be salt and light at a school gate where it's really difficult. God wants you to be a teacher in that classroom where those kids are really hard work. God wants you to be salt and light in that business where everybody seems to be looking after themselves and no one seems to be caring for others. God wants us to be people like that. C.T. Studd, the missionary to China and India and Africa, once said, he never, he didn't, I want to tell you, he didn't say the church 12 miles from anywhere, two feet from hell. He didn't say that. This is what he said. Someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. God wants us to be a people who live out our purpose, declaring his glory to a world that's heading to an eternity without him. Peter puts it like this. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against our soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us that's God's purpose for us we have an alpha course coming up starting in October we've got an alpha launch in two Sundays time I want to encourage you be thinking, God, how can I make a difference? Who can I invite to come along to Alpha? Be praying, God, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to be salt and light. You're thinking, well, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what the workplace is. You never know what God's going to do. Lift your eyes. Believe that he can use you. There's a purpose to proclaim. Finally, as we finish with this, there's a power to receive. You know, you just can't live in a desert place without power. It's just exhausting. It's just too hot. It just wears you out. Maybe you feel worn out by your circumstances. You need energy. In Palm Springs, it's a strange place because in the middle of this desert, you suddenly see these 200 plus wind turbines. They are the ugliest things you've ever seen. I mean, in the middle of a desert, it's bizarre. And when we're there, they're not moving an inch. Nothing is moving at all. There's no wind. It's just so hot. And you're thinking, what is the point of all that? Actually, what happens is this. In the heat and the pressure, what happens is the hot air rises. 
And because of the mountains around, hot air rises and the cold air rushes in underneath. And for 200 days a year, those wind turbines are driven by wind. I want to tell you that when you feel you're in a tough place and you don't know how, you don't know that you've got the energy to get up and go again for God, I want to say that as you seek His face, as you call out on Him, the wind of His Spirit comes and rushes in and drives you and gives you energy, the dunamis, the power of God to go again for Him in a desert place. The revivalist Duncan Campbell said this, The kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men and women, but by men and women in our churches becoming filled with God. The kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men and women. It's not about more people coming through the doors, necessarily. But it's about people, people like us, you and me, being filled with the power of God. This season is going to be a season of challenge and testing. It's going to be a season where we need to dig into God and draw from His grace through prayer and our obedience We're called to be a significant people, but not individually. It's not about us looking good. It's not about being the biggest tree in the forest. It's about us together making a difference, being rooted together. You know, when you're rooted together and trees grow together, what happens is they grow straight against one another. And so the redwoods, they grow straight. Palm trees grow straight. And the issue is this. As we are a community together, we help live uh, uh, we help one another live rightly before God, to live straight before Him. There's a world that's pulling us in all sorts of directions, but we need to be a people who are drawing from God's strength, but we need one another to live for Him in these days. We're not going to do it by ourselves. We'll go off beam. We are a significant people. God wants to us to know that we belong to him. He, he's going to provide for us and protect us. He's going to walk with us through it, but we need to look to him. We have a purpose to proclaim, a gospel to bring. Alpha's come out. Come on, let's make it the best alpha we've ever had. Let's be thinking, God, who are you going to help me to invite this day, this week, several weeks to go? Come on, let's make it the best alpha we can. Let's be seeking God every morning. God, who are you going to bring across my path today? Finally, there's a power to receive. We need to be people filled with the Spirit. I'm going to finish with this. Can the band come up? When we were at West Point recently, the church went away camping with about 40, 50 other churches down in West Point several thousand people and when I'm there someone has a a prophetic word for me and a number of other people had similar words and the, the gist of it was it was for the church it was this and the gist of it was this that God was going to come and break in amongst us it's almost like the front doors or the back doors of the church that God was going to burst through them both and he was going to sweep in amongst us and it was going to result in a lot of silt being washed away and God was going to reveal some real nuggets of gold but it was going to be messy. We need God to move amongst us. We, if we're going to make a difference in these days for him, we need 
his spirit amongst us. We need to be people of word and spirit. We need to be people rooted into him. It will be messy, but it will be worth it.